Chapter 8 of History of Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of Egypt by F. C. H. Wendell. Chapter 8 The Ethiopians and Assyrians in Egypt. Dynasties 23, 24, and 25, 800 to 645 BC. Section 1. Dynasty 23. The Disintegration of Egypt and the First Ethiopian Invasion. Already under Sheshenk III, Thebes seems to have been lost to the Libyan dynasty. The last monument that mentions any king of the 22nd dynasty in Karnak is dated from the 29th year of Sheshenk's reign, and after the loss of Thebes, these kings were confined to the delta. Four kings are mentioned in the inscription of King Pianchi, but we know little of any one of them. They are Usarken of Bibastis, probably the same man as Usarken III, the last of the Bibastides, Aaupet of Clisma, Nemart of Khmunu, Hermopolis, and Pefdedbast of Chenensuten, Heracleopolis. Manetho states that Pefdedbast, whom he calls Petubastis, reigned forty years. A notice preserved by Ammian to the effect that in his time the Phoenicians had suddenly attacked and taken Thebes is probably a faint recollection of the Ethiopian invasion. At all events, the inscription of Pianchi, which mentions besides these four kings, sixteen rulers of smaller districts, amply proves that Egypt was at this time completely disintegrated. The Rise of Ethiopia we have seen that for many centuries Ethiopia was an Egyptian province, but it would seem that at the close of the 21st dynasty it gradually emancipated itself from Egypt. In the times of the 22nd dynasty, Ethiopia was no longer under Egyptian rule. Several historians have attempted to bring into connection the fall of the 21st dynasty and the establishment of the Ethiopian kingdom, by assuming that the heirs of Pasebchanu had fled before Sheshank I to that country early in the 10th century before the Common Era, and had founded a theocratic government there. This hypothesis is in some measure confirmed by the name of the first Ethiopian invader of Egypt, Pianchi, a name that occurs also in the times of the priest kings. There is not, however, sufficient proof to assert this as an established fact. Be that as it may, we find that, about the time of the 22nd dynasty, Ethiopia had become an independent kingdom. The capital was Napata, at the foot of the Gebel Barkal, where Amenhotep III had erected a temple to Amun-Ra. The centuries of dependence had firmly established Egyptian civilization in Ethiopia. The religion was that of Amun-Ra, though it was carried out to consequences unknown in Egypt. The priests had an almost absolute power. In the name of Amun, the kings went out on their wars. They were entirely dependent on his prophecies and oracles, as interpreted by the priests. They strictly observed the laws regarding cleanliness and all the minute details of the ritual. Thus they put into practice what had been mere theory in Egypt. A long inscription relates how the king was chosen directly through an oracle of Amun-Ra, thus confirming the account given by Diodorus. The priests had, moreover, the right to command the king in the name of Amun to commit suicide, a pernicious practice that Ergamenes in the 3rd century BC put a stop to. It is, then, not to be wondered at that the Egyptian priests described Ethiopia to the Greek tourists as a promised land. The titulature of the kings was modelled after that of the pharaohs. 
the official language of the realm was the egyptian with some dialectic peculiarities the script in the older inscriptions is hieroglyphic gradually the language changed more and more becoming surcharged with ethiopian elements and at last it has changed to such an extent as to be completely unintelligible the script also changed with time a cursive form known as the meroitic demotic script arose which no one has yet succeeded in deciphering in this script most of the ethiopic inscriptions are written and it is only after this has been deciphered that we can gain a clear picture of the history of the new ethiopian kingdom early in the eighth century b c the new kingdom was strong enough to attack egypt the disintegration of egypt offered the then ethiopian ruler pianchi a fine opportunity of subduing the country that had so long held his native land in subjugation he invaded egypt and seems to have found but little resistance the inscription which treats of his egyptian campaign enumerates the twenty sovereigns who at that time ruled egypt one usarken king of perbastet bubastis in the delta two aupet king of tenremu clisma in the delta three nemart king of khmunu hermopolis magna ashmunain in upper egypt four peftedbast king of chenensuten heracleopolis magna ahnes in upper egypt five tefnacht prince of sa Seis, and mennefer memphis six sheshenk chief of mercenaries in per usiri bucyrus in the delta seven ched amon auf ankh chief of mercenaries in per banebded mendes in the delta eight ankh hor chief of mercenaries in per tot uprohe hermopolis nine bekennef hereditary prince ten nesnaketi chief of mercenaries in the city of kasset Coes in the delta eleven pedubast chief of mercenaries in het heriab athrobis in the delta twelve patenf chief of mercenaries in persopt capital of the twentieth lower egyptian nome thirteen pama chief of mercenaries in pasasrek bucyrus fourteen nechthor nashenu chief of mercenaries in percherrer Thagroriopolis. 15. Padu Horsantawi, priest of Horus, in Sechem, Setopolis. 16. Herubusa, prince of Sayut, Siut, and Hesawi. 17. Chetchiao, prince of the city of Chentnefer. 18. Babas, prince of Cherchao, Babylon, and Perhapi, Nilopolis. 19. A chief of mercenaries in Tanis. 20. A chief of mercenaries in Ostracine. These kings and princes seem to have offered but little or no resistance to the Ethiopian invader, and to have remained tranquil under his control for some time. But the spirit of liberty was not dead in the land of Khemet. In the twenty-first year of Pianchi's reign, an attempt was made by Tefnacht, prince of Sais in Memphis, who was by far the mightiest of these petty sovereigns, to deliver Egypt from the Ethiopian domination. He succeeded in uniting the many petty rulers of Lower and Middle Egypt under his leadership. Then he sailed up the Nile, and everywhere the cities opened their gates to him. 
At Chenen Suten, he met with the first resistance. King Pefdedbast seemed determined to maintain his separate sovereignty under Pianchi's protection. The city was besieged and taken, but Pefdedbast joined the alliance in only a half-hearted manner. The allies now proceeded south, and at Khmunu were joined by King Nemart, who became one of the most useful members of the coalition. They then went against Thebes. Matters were now becoming serious, and Pianchi, on hearing of what was going on, ordered Poa Arma and Ramer Sekni, his lord lieutenants in Upper Egypt, to oppose the progress of the rebellion. They immediately took active measures and began the siege of Khmunu. To aid in their operations, the Ethiopian king had sent an army north. As they approached Thebes on their fleet, they encountered Tefnacht's fleet. A battle ensued in which the Egyptians were defeated. Leaving Ramer Sekni and Poarma to take Khmunu, the Ethiopians pursued the fleeing Egyptians northward. The Egyptians made a stand at Chenensuten, which city was the key of the Fayum. Here two battles occurred on succeeding days. The first was fought on the Nile. Possibly the Egyptians sought to prevent the enemy from landing. The second was fought on the riverbank at Perpek, a town near Chenensuten. In both these battles, the patriots were defeated with heavy loss. Meanwhile, Khmunu had fallen, and Nemart, hearing of this, determined to retake his capital. Marching rapidly south, he laid siege to the town, and after defeating several sallies made by the Ethiopian garrison, recaptured it. Thus matters stood when Pianchi determined to come north and conduct the campaign in person. Before he started, however, his troops had gained some further advantages, taking several smaller fortresses, of which the most important was Tatehen. This strong fort was taken by storm after a most determined resistance. Among the slain was one of Tefnacht's sons. Finally the king came. After celebrating a religious festival at Thebes, he marched against Khmunu. A regular siege was commenced. A high wall was built around the town, and a shower of arrows and stones was thrown into the city. Three days the town held out, but finally Nemart was compelled to surrender and pay tribute. Pefdedbast of Chenensuten came up the stream and paid homage to Pianchi, bringing him costly presents. His ready submission proved that he had joined Tefnacht much against his will, and inclined the king to be gracious. Pianchi now sailed downstream to Per-Sechem-Cheper-Ra-Illahun, a strong fortress in the northern part of the Fayum, which was surrendered on the first summons. Just north of this lay the stronghold of Meritum, Medum, which seemed inclined to hold out. A peremptory summons, leaving the city the choice between immediate surrender and a massacre of its garrison in case of a storm, however, brought the commandant to terms. At the northern boundary of Upper Egypt, there was a strongly fortified city which was also surrendered on Pianchi's approach. This left the way open to Memphis. The city was very strongly fortified. Tefnacht had laid in it a garrison of 8,000 men and then gone north, probably to collect reinforcements. The Ethiopian monarch hesitated about storming the sacred city and summoned it to surrender, offering to enter the city peaceably as his only desire in coming to Memphis was to pay his homage to the gods. But Memphis was the key of the delta, and the garrison was determined to hold out. Besides, Tefnacht's reinforcements could be expected daily. The king, therefore, ordered his soldiers to storm the town. 
they effected a landing in the harbor of memphis and scaling the walls were soon masters of the city many of the garrison and of the citizens fell in the combat and many others were carried off as prisoners of war the city was plundered but the temples were spared a guard having been set over them Pianchi remained in Memphis several days, partly to take part in several religious festivals, and partly to receive the tribute of several princes and grand dukes of the Ma that came here to offer their submission. He next advanced to An Heliopolis, where he attended some other religious festivals, and received the submission of a number of other princes, among them Usarken, king of Bubastis. Then he went to Hot-Heri-Ab, Athribis, where he received the submission of the last remaining rebellious princes except Tefnacht. This leader, deserted by all his allies, determined to make a last stand for freedom. Raising the walls and burning down the treasury buildings of Sais, he retired to the island city of Mest in the Nile, and strongly entrenched himself. Prince Peftubast of Athribis was sent against him with a strong detachment a battle ensued in which tefnacht was defeated and his army annihilated tefnacht now sent messengers to pianchi offering to surrender the king sent him two ambassadors in whose presence he swore the oath of allegiance two cities that had hitherto held out now also surrendered the rebellion was crushed after holding a grand reception of the princes pianchi returned home his ships laden down with the tribute and booty won in the war Pianchi reigned in all forty years, but he had no further occasion to interfere in Egypt. This was owing to his wise policy. He left all of the old princes in possession of their lands, and thus bound them to his person, as they owed their sovereignty to his grace. Moreover, a disunited Egypt was no menace to him, and the bickerings among the various petty kings could at any time furnish him a pretext for invading the country that he was determined to prevent the union of these princes was proved by the great campaign against tefnacht and his allies he had no idea of holding the country but retired after having effectively choked tefnacht's attempt to unite the various petty states into a great kingdom section two the twenty-fourth dynasty saitic b c seven thirty four to seven twenty eight Bekenrenf, the only king of this dynasty, seems to have succeeded in doing what Tefnacht had attempted over nineteen years before. According to Diodorus, who calls him Bokhoris, he was the son of Tnefachthos, who is no doubt identical with Tefnacht. For about six years he ruled undisturbed by the Ethiopians. All we know of him from the monuments is that he buried an apis at Memphis in the sixth year of his reign. In Ethiopia, Kashta had succeeded Pianchi. This monarch was married to Shepenapet, a daughter of King Usarken of Bubastis. Their son, Shabaka, succeeded him and immediately determined to conquer Egypt. He could lay a certain claim to the Egyptian throne, as his mother was a daughter of the last Bubastide king. In invading the country, he defeated Bekenrenf, Manetho states that he burned him alive, and compelled the various petty kings to acknowledge his sovereignty. Section 3. The 25th Dynasty, Ethiopians, the Assyrian Invasions, 728-645 to 645 BC. Shabaka, the Sabakon of the Greeks, Saw of the Bible, and Shabe of the Assyrians, 728-726 to 726 BC. 
Herodotus relates that Sabacon, the Ethiopian, had conquered Egypt and had left it after a reign of fifty years in consequence of a dream. Diodorus comes nearer the truth when he states that four Ethiopian kings ruled Egypt for thirty-six years. Shabaka took the title of King of Upper and Lower Egypt, but appointed his sister, Amenerdas, who was married to a man named Pianchi, regent of the country. The Greek authors praise this ruler highly. He is reputed to have abolished capital punishment, substituting hard labor for it. This pharaoh became mixed up in Asiatic affairs. King Hosea of Israel had joined other Syrian monarchs in a rebellion against Salmanasser IV, king of Assyria, and the allies had sent to Shabaka, asking his assistance. The plot was discovered, Hosea was called to Assyria and thrown into prison. Salmanasser invested Samaria about 725 BC, but died before the city fell. His successor, Sharrukinu, Sargon II, continued the siege and took the city in 722 BC. Shortly after, a new coalition was formed, at the head of which stood King Ilubid of Hamath. This coalition embraced, besides Hamath, Arpad, Semira, Damascus, Gaza, and Egypt. Sargon, however, was too quick for the Allies. Before Shabaka could join them, Sargon met and routed their forces at Karkar. He now moved southward and met Shabaka, who had meanwhile been joined by King Hanno of Gaza at Raphia. The Allies were badly defeated, and Hanno was taken prisoner, 720 BC. Sargon could not follow up his victory and invade Egypt, as events had meanwhile occurred in the north which called him to the new seat of war, but he had gained his purpose. Shabaka was badly crippled, and even sent tribute. This pharaoh died about 716 B.C. Shabataka, 715-703 B.C. The successor of Shabaka is a king of whom we do not know much. Despite the fact that he reigned twelve years, he seems to have done little. In Asia, he did not interfere. Probably the defeat of Shabaka at Raphia had been so complete as either to cripple Egypt for years, or at least to discourage her rulers from attacking Assyria again. Taharqa, 702-662 BC. This king was in all probability not of royal parentage, but came to the throne by marrying Shabataka's widow. He was twenty years of age when he ascended the throne. Young and active, he was willing to restore to Egypt its former prestige. Meanwhile, Sargon had been assassinated, and his son, Sin Ahierib, Sanherib, had ascended the Assyrian throne, 705 BC. Immediately a new coalition was formed against Assyria. Elulius of Tyre, Hezekiah of Judah, and Zidka of Ascalon formed a league and called upon Taharqa for assistance. Marduk Balladin, the Chaldean ruler of Babylon, was also drawn into the league and conducted negotiations with Hezekiah. King Padi of Akaron, who had refused to join the rebels, was deposed and turned over to Hezekiah. This mighty coalition, if properly handled, would have been a match for the Assyrians, but Sanherib was too quick for them. In 701 BC, he entered Syria and subdued Elulius. Then going south, he took Ascalon and Akaron. At Altaku, he met and defeated Taharqa, who had attempted to check him. After taking Altaku and some other towns, Sanherib marched on Jerusalem. 
Hezekiah submitted, and Badi was restored to his kingdom. The rebellion was not, however, crushed as yet. Hezekiah continued his negotiations with Taharqa, who had returned to Egypt to collect a new army. Sanharib, hearing of this, accused the Jewish king of treason and threatened him with destruction. Relying on Jehovah and the king of Egypt, Hezekiah boldly held out. Jerusalem was besieged. Meanwhile, Taharqa was coming to the aid of his ally with a new army. Sanharib advanced to meet him, but his army was so reduced by pestilence that he had to retire without giving battle. The story of the Bible is well known. The angel of the Lord smote the Assyrian army in the night, and 185,000 men died, whereupon Sanharib had to retire. Herodotus has a somewhat different version of the affair. He relates that after the Ethiopian Sabakon, a pious priest of Ptah, named Sethos, ruled in Egypt. He denied his soldiers certain privileges, and thus gained their enmity. When Sennacherib, king of the Arabians and Assyrians, marched against Egypt, they refused to fight, and Sethos was placed in a sad predicament. He prayed to the gods for aid, and they sent out mice that ate up the bows and belts of the Assyrian army encamped about Pelusium during the night, so that the Egyptian merchants and mechanics could easily defeat them next day. The First Assyrian Invasion Sanharib never returned to Palestine. He was assassinated in 681 BC, and his son, Asarhaddon, Ashur Ahiddin, ascended the throne. Trouble between him and Taharqa began in 672 BC, when King Baal of Tyre, relying on promises of assistance from Taharqa, rebelled against Assyria. Asarhaddon now determined to put an end to Egyptian interference. A detachment of his army besieged Tyre, while the main body marched against Egypt. The prince of the Bedouins, dwelling on the Egyptian border, gladly furnished camels and water, and thus the difficult march from Raphia to Pelusium was accomplished without serious loss. Taharqa seems to have offered but little resistance, for the Assyrian army entered Memphis, and soon after Thebes also was taken and sacked. Taharqa fled to Ethiopia. After these victories, Asarhaddon styled himself King of Musur, Lower Egypt, Patrus, Upper Egypt, and Cush, Ethiopia. The land itself was left under the control of twenty independent petty sovereigns, as follows. 1. Niku, Nekau, of Mimpi, Memphis, and Sai, Sais. 2. Sharruladari, of Tzirnu. 3. Pisanhu, of Nathu, Natho. 4. Bakruru, of Pishaptu, Persopt, the capital of the Nomos Arabia, the twentieth Lower Egyptian nome. 5. Puknannipi, Bekennef, of Hathiribi, Hatheriab, Athribis. 6. Nahki, of Chinenshi, Chenensuten. 7. Pitubisti, Pedubast, of Tzarnu, Tanis. 8. Unamunu, of Nathu. 9. Horsiaishu, of Tamuti, Chebnuter, Sebenethos. 10. Puwama, Bimai, of Bindidi, Perbanebded, equals Mendes. 11. Sudzinku, 
Sheshenk, of Busiri, Perusiri, Busiris. 12. Tapnachti, Tefnacht, of Bunubu, Pernub. 13. Pukunanmi of Ahni. 14. Ipti Hardishu, of Pisati Hurunpi. 15. Nahti Hurwantini, Necht Hornashenu, of Pishabdinuti. 16. Bukurninip, of Pahnuti. 17. Ziha, of Ziautu, Siut. 18. Lamintu, of Himuni, Khmunu. 19. Ishpimatu, of Taani, Teni, Fis. 20. Mantipianchi, Mentuemhat, of Nil, Thebes. It is impossible for us to identify those of the Assyrian names of Egyptian princes and cities, the Egyptian names of which we have not given. The mightiest of these princes was Nekau, Assyrian Niku, Greek Neko, prince of Memphis and Sais, according to Manetho, 671 to 663 BC. He was the favorite of Assarhaddon. At this monarch's request, Nekau changed the name of Sais to Karbel Matati, garden of the lord of lands, and gave his son Psemtek the Assyrian name Nabu Shezib Anni. Shortly after the conquest of Egypt, Assarhaddon resigned the crown in favor of his son Assurbanipal, about 668 BC. The Second Assyrian Invasion This change in the rulers of Assyria encouraged Taharqa to attempt the delivery of Egypt from Assyrian rule. He advanced on Thebes, Assyrian Nil, and Mentuemhat, Assyrian Mantipianchi, received him with open arms, hailing him as a deliverer. Memphis was taken soon after, and the Ethiopian proceeded to make himself at home in Egypt. When Assurbanipal heard of this, he at once determined to punish the Ethiopians. He advanced to Karbana, a town north of Memphis, where he met and utterly routed Taharqa's forces. The king himself, who had remained at Memphis, on hearing of this defeat, at once fled to Thebes, which city he abandoned on the approach of the Assyrian army without a battle, about 667 BC. Meanwhile, the Egyptian princes, under the leadership of Nekau of Sais, Sharladari of Tanis, and Pakruru of Persopt, had opened negotiations with Taharqa, inviting him to renew his attack and promising their support. Their letters were, however, intercepted, and the conspirators were arrested. Proof against them was not wanting, but the Assyrian king evidently thought it wise policy not to punish them. They were left in possession of their holdings, but had to swear allegiance to Assurbanipal. Nekau, the favorite of his father, was sent home loaded down with presents, and his son, Nabu Shezibani, was appointed governor-general of Egypt. Assurbanipal hoped to gain a powerful ally in this manner, and he was not disappointed. In the Greek accounts, Taharqa figures as a great hero and conqueror. Strabo relates that he reached the columns of Hercules, the westernmost point of northern Africa, on one of his campaigns, and according to Megosthenes, he led his army to India, and thence to the Pontus and Thrace. In his inscriptions, he poses as a mighty conqueror. Fourteen Negro tribes are mentioned as subdued in Ethiopia. 
the list of conquered nations he had inscribed on the walls of the temple of karnak is copied word for word from that of ramses the second and even mentions among other states Asser, while we know he was several times whipped by the assyrians at gebel barkal he built two temples and at karnak he repaired portions of the great temple of amon ra and of the temple of mut he died about 664 bc tanawat amon and the third assyrian invasion the stepson of taharqa ascended the ethiopian throne about 664 bc an inscription found at the gebel barkal relates that this king had been encouraged by a dream that promised him the crown of egypt to invade that country elephantine and thebes hailed him as a deliverer memphis resisted but was taken after a battle it is very probable that Nekau, prince of memphis and sais who died about this time 664 b c fell in one of the battles with tanuat amon when he was at memphis a deputation of egyptian princes headed by pakruru of persopt offered their submission the others withdrew to their fortresses and refused to yield tanuat amon evidently did not feel strong enough to attack them and preferred to return to memphis where he had long theological arguments with those princes who submitted when assurbanipal heard of this new ethiopian invasion by urdamani as the assyrian inscriptions call tanuat amon he sent an army against him the ethiopians immediately withdrew before the approach of the assyrians and fled to ethiopia thus about 662 b c was driven from egypt the last ethiopian king who dared invade the country End of chapter 8. Recording by Owen Cook in Potawatomi, Ceded Land.